How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got to I got to check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast. Sort of. Featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is... I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Welcome in to episode 44 of Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I am Derek Johnson. The episode of, we got some good numbers this time. Hank Aaron, Willie McCovey, Reggie Jackson, some active guys, Paul Goldschmidt and Anthony Rizzo. Dusty, what are you drinking tonight and what is the throw it back baseball stat of the week? Yeah, I'm drinking something something with a 44% alcohol. No, I, I, I have a, uh, and I, that would be something. I would probably be dead. Um. This is kind of cool. Uh, if you see right here, somebody gave this to me just uh, as a gift, and it's this huge bottle. It's called, it's not even really a bottle, it's like a plastic wrap with IPA beer inside, and it says, Beer Not For Here. Um, it's from Eureka, which is a, uh, a restaurant, which is kind of cool, but uh, there's just an IPA beer that's inside this huge plastic. Uh, I don't even know good? what it's called. Yeah, well, I had a sip of it, and I'm going to give it another sip right here. I I didn't want to really drink much of it. It was up to right here, and I had, like, a little little taste before because I got okay, a little Okay, to nervous. give an example, like, to explain this to people listening on the podcast, this looks like if you had a maple syrup bottle, but instead of a maple syrup bottle, it was, like, an inflatable balloon. This is really good. Yeah, and actually, that was a great description, Derek. Uh, it's almost like you do play-by-play for a living. Um, yeah, it does kind of look like... Uh, I would almost call this like the wine bag version of beer. Mm-hmm. You know, like like you you slap the Franzia bag, you slap the uh, the beer bag. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. I don't know, but um, it's actually really good. Like this is something I would choose to drink. Um, and it's a hazy IPA. Uh, I believe it's locally brewed. Um, considering it's from Eureka, which is uh, a local uh, business here, I think that this is hazy IPA from. I want to say out in Paso Robles, California, but whatever it is, the hazy IPA is really good, and I guess it's even better from this bottle thing that I've got right here. What? what it, and I'll get to the uh, the stat in a second. What are you drinking? Okay, so I am drinking a Sonic Hard Seltzer. I think I've had one of these on the show before. They have a I bunch of different flavors. Early. This one is the orange pineapple. I think this is one of the better ones. Where do you get that from? Um, Sonic is headquartered in the Midwest. So they have them a bunch out here, Oklahoma, Kansas, like nearby. I, I don't know if they're going to start shipping out to other places, but like, as you know, in California, like it's, it's kind of hard to find a Sonic. So like, I don't know if you'll have them anytime soon there, but, um, I, I don't think they're like anything special as far as hard, hard seltzers go, but there are a couple flavors that are really good. And I, uh, really like this one. Is it a, have you ever tried to make those into a slushie? No, that is actually a genius idea, though. You have a margarita machine, I'm pretty sure, right? So if you uh, combine your talents right there, I feel like you got it yourself an actually like really pretty good drink, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, you just put the ice out. I mean, you have the ice shaver as well, so you could easily do the same thing. So uh, okay, what I'm is ex- the yeah. throwback baseball stat of the week? Well, I'm expecting you to make that drink next time we have our show. Uh, for the throwback stat... So, obviously, right now, we are in a very, very dead period. But, believe it or not, uh, at this time of the year, people still sign even when there's not a temporary lockout. How about a legend? The uh, the Minnesota Twins signed Jim Tomei to a one-year deal on this date, which is January the 27th of 2010. It was just a one-year deal. He was 39 years old. 
But my goodness, Derek, it's crazy to think about how Jim Tomei, you know, he is a Hall of Fame career, uh, one of the probably better hitters actually of our, I would say, early generation. You know, when we grew up, he was one of the best. And I feel like he goes unrecognized sometimes for what numbers he put up, not only early on in his career, but this year, 2010. He played in only 108 games, but when he played, my goodness, the numbers he put up were insane. He hit 283, had a 412 on base percentage, he slugged 627, and had an OPS of 1.039. He finished 18th in the MVP voting. Obviously, at this time, he's 39 years old, he's a DH for life. He hit 25 home runs, had only 59 RBIs. Remember, it's kind of a shorter season. Uh, had 60 walks that year, struck out 82 times. Uh, but I was really impressed by the peripheral numbers that he had, and he would go on to play for two more seasons as well. Played and finished at age 41 with the Baltimore Orioles and Philadelphia Phillies, his final year of his career. Uh, but man, the guy was a 276 hitter, 402 at, uh, on base percentage, and 554 career slugging. And uh, an OPS, believe that. I mean, when I saw this number, this blew my mind. He had a career OPS of 956. And so it kind of transitions directly into what we're talking about early on here, which is the Hall of Fame discussion. Um, you know, we're talking about who belongs in the Hall of Fame and who obviously deserves to be in it and who doesn't. What namesakes? Well, Jim Tomei obviously put up a Hall of Fame career, and those are Hall of Fame numbers. We're going to talk about what Hall of Fame numbers may look like and what may not look like Hall of Fame numbers, but one guy and one guy only got in this Hall of Fame time around, and that was Big Poppy. yet another DH, uh, David Ortiz, the legend from Boston, and he's the only one. And uh, I think before we get into the guys that didn't get in, um, kind of looking at his fantasy perspective, the outlook over his career. I mean, David Ortiz had pretty insane numbers as well, obviously... He had postseason heroics. Uh, but from a fantasy standpoint, what was he like as a fantasy player? I think it's something that's kind of intriguing looking back. Because if you compare Jim Tomei's numbers, you know, number one, Ortiz had a 20-year career, had a 286 batting average, 380 on base percentage, 552 slugging, the OPS at 931. Those are Hall of Fame numbers as well. Yeah, and uh, it's it's hard to not mention David Ortiz making the Hall of Fame without mentioning all the guys who did not. Obviously, that was uh, a big debate. I did see if uh, the MLB Hall of Fame voting was only done from the first-time voters, so if you only looked at the first-timers, not the guys who have been there forever and are, are stuck in, in certain ways, um, Ortiz would have got in, Scott Rowland would have got in, Barry Bonds would have got in, Roger Clemens would have got in, all of them had 80% or better from the first-time voters, which I think is interesting. Uh, but yeah, David Ortiz, definitely worthy of the Hall of Fame, even though I think some of those other guys should have got in as well. It, it's funny because we uh, started kind of our Dynasty League at the tail end of, of David Ortiz's career, and it's looking back on it, it was one of those things where, I don't know, he may have been playing for maybe three years during our Dynasty League, and it seemed like every year the value of whoever had him was like, oh, I have this, you know, top 50 or top 25 hitter or whatever it was. And it was like, I don't want to trade him away. But then everybody was always interested in trying to trade for him because they loved David Ortiz and the production was great, but nobody was ever willing to offer good amounts. And, and this includes like, I remember offering trades to the person who had him and I would never like fully give a great offer because it was like, oh, he's going to retire in a year. And you just never knew when he was going to retire. And I feel like, I, and I'm not expecting this guy necessarily to make the Hall of Fame because he did have the, the PAD thing in the past. And, and I don't know if he has, he obviously doesn't have as, as much of the like postseason lore as David Ortiz, but it's kind of like Nelson Cruz. Yeah, actually, I love that comparison because it's going to be interesting to, to watch that moving forward. Nelson Cruz is, no pun intended, still cruising in the league. Uh, David Ortiz. You intended that pun. <laughs> no way that was not intended. Not intended at all. That was the beer talking. Um, David Ortiz's final season, Derek, I don't know if you've seen the numbers. You probably already have. Unbelievable. Okay, in 2016, you could make an argument outside of his one season. I think it was in 2006 where he hit like 54 home runs, had 137 RBIs. Yeah, that's that's what that was. Uh, in 2016, his final season, age 40, uh, Nelson Cruz-ish kind of year where he had 48 doubles. Okay, he had 38 home runs. 
had 127 RBIs. He had a 620 slugging percentage on top of the 315 average, and his OPS was 1.021. I mean, that is ludicrous that he ended up that season. Also, finishing sixth in the MVP voting, um, pretty amazing what uh, David Ortiz was able to put together. But I think looking at those other guys, those other names that did not make the Hall of Fame, and the obvious notable number one being Barry Bonds, what, what are those thoughts? I thought he should have been in. I mean, it's hard to tell the story of baseball without him. And I, I get the whole steroid thing. I, I get that with, with all those guys. I just, I thought that he was a good enough player that it just kind of overcame all that stuff. And I get it. Like, Barry Bonds was not the nicest guy in the clubhouse. He was not the nicest guy to interview. I just don't think that should really matter. Like, this isn't the Hall of who's a good person. This is the Baseball Hall of Fame, right? Um, it's, you know, it, it's not... I don't think the goal, at least it shouldn't, I, I think it actually is on the voting that they say you can factor that in, like uh, the, the type of person it is. I don't think it should be because um, that's kind of a slippery slope. You don't necessarily know all the stories of, like there could be multiple people in the Hall of Fame who were just terrible people, but you just didn't know it because maybe the coverage wasn't as much. There wasn't social media like there is now. There wasn't as hard uh, of steroid testing or foreign substance testing. Like, I think it just kind of opens a slippery slope there. But uh, nonetheless, I I thought he should have been in. I, I would have liked to see him in. I saw some funny uh, ideas uh, on, on Giants Twitter. One that mentioned the Giants should sign him for just a day and let him play one day. And um, then it'll reset his Hall of Fame clock. And then in, you know, another five years, maybe the voters will be a little more progressive about it. I, I like that idea, and I actually could totally see the Giants doing something like that. I mean, number one, how cool would it be if he gets re-signed and they say, okay, on this given day, we're just going to have him DH, right, if, if the DH is a thing, and we're going to have him hit in the nine slot for literally one at-bat. That's all we're going to do. Yeah. Do you know they're going to sell out that game, number one. Have it, have it against the, I don't know, the Pittsburgh Pirates, right, or like the, the Marlins. I don't care. Honestly, it, it, the Dodgers, man. I mean, like, do do whatever they care about that that gets him out on the field, and then yeah, resetting the clock. I, I thought it was hilarious that uh, there was somebody that went out there and said that John Dowd should somehow be elected in. If you're not a fan of the uh, MVP 2005 game, uh, there was the whole issue with the players' agreement, and uh, essentially Barry Bonds' name couldn't be in there due to like name and likeness. Uh, I believe uh, there are a couple other players out in the league that also uh, couldn't be on there, including Kevin Millar, um, that had to be replaced. Uh, but so John Dowd was the name of the uh, the game creator. And uh, so there's something to be said about the fact that Barry Bonds had a pretty prolific impact that John Dowd was ranked 99 in every category, which is pretty hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's really sad that, you know, one of the biggest names that we'll ever know in the game won't actually be in the Hall of Fame. And Derek, on this podcast, you uh, you said something that I'll always remember, which was there's only two people in this world that can truly judge you, and that's the judge and God. And so for a reporter or a writer, somebody that's in my same shoes and your same shoes, we're both in the media, um, we don't have the ability to say who is and who is not a good person. I mean, did Barry Bonds have a bad track record in some aspects. Sure. But we all do, you know, we all fall short. So in my opinion, I just, I don't know. It's too slippery of a slope for me. I don't understand why this is, uh, you know, this guy is not in the hall of fame. Um, and that's coming from a Dodgers fan, you know, from somebody that grew up not liking Barry Bonds. I still don't understand how, as you kind of put it right there, you can't, you can't tell the story of baseball from the early two thousands on, without having the home run king in the discussion and in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I saw something interesting, too. Somebody was like, if he can't make the Hall of Fame, why do all of his records still stand? You know? Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't just, make any sense. It's it makes no sense. Honestly. Okay, uh, we're going to do a little debate here. What dictates a fantasy baseball Hall of Famer? Um, you know, expected stats, I guess, for runs, home runs, doubles. I don't know if you're in a triples league, if you go... That way, RBI, steals, wins, loss, ERA, whip, all that stuff. What what kind of makes uh, somebody a fantasy baseball Hall of Famer? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thought because, you know, obviously in the real world, uh, a, a guy that I like to kind of turn to uh, maybe more of this debate is a guy like Dustin Pedroia, 
right? Dustin Pedroia never put up maybe the most unbelievable stats. Like, he put up decent numbers always, but he never put up what you would put as, like, Hall of Fame-worthy numbers. But he was such a great player and one of the top elite players in the league for a long time because his real in-player, on-field value was there. He played great defense. Um, he had clutch hits when it mattered most, helped lead the Red Sox to a World Series. I, I kind of call it my almost Dustin Pedroia rule. But then you have guys like, uh, look at this 2023 class, Jose Reyes is one of those names that's on this list uh, that's debatable, right, for getting into the Hall of Fame. And I think most people just seeing the name Jose Reyes – they would say this guy is not going to go to the Hall of Fame. Look at his numbers. He has 517 career stolen bases. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, that just separates you from the rest. And so when I look at a Hall of Famer from a fantasy perspective, right? Like when I when I consider a guy that's Hall of Fame worthy from fantasy level, Derek, I, this is where our debate kind of comes in. I think where I find value is a guy that for five or six years consistently – is going to hit me from the 290 to above, really, 290 range in average, is going to give me an on-base percentage above 375, has a slugging percentage above 500. I mean, I don't really care where that sits in the 500 range. I'm not going to care too much about OPS because that's not truly a fantasy stat that we use, but in general, you're looking for an OPS above around, I would say, 900. Is, is kind of the, the fantasy perspective for me. And look where you saw Jim Tomey and David Ortiz. They sit right there. And I would consider both of them to be fantasy stars. Uh, from a pitching sp- perspective, uh, I would kind of quote it and say, wins and losses don't matter to me. Uh, because Jacob deGrom is a fantasy king. And yeah, he's going to get you eight wins a year, right? And so you don't know how many losses he's going to get. He could go eight and ten. And he's still a fantasy star to me because that ERA is sub three. And I think... Any pitcher for five to six years that can give me a sub three ERA with a whip that's under 102, okay? Like, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Uh, Give me a K per nine that's above 9.5. If you can get me that and a quality start total around 25, that to me dictates on paper, on paper, a fantasy star. What about you? Yeah, so I I think it's kind of interesting because the crossover between good stats is is probably – between like fantasy hall of famer and real hall of famer more it correlates more in in baseball and fantasy baseball than it does in other sports like football you could have a quarterback who they get behind in every game because they're not very good and they throw for 350 yards and they're not a great real life quarterback but they're they're fantasy mvp in baseball if you're putting up like big numbers you're probably a real life hall of fame player too so if i were to kind of try to cue in on on specific things that maybe make you more valuable in fantasy than real life. I think especially now with the way that people and, and teams and players are stealing less, steals are, are so important, especially in a roto league. That's one-fifth of the hitting categories. That's 20%. So, like, imagine if you had a Ricky Henderson or, like you said, with Jose Reyes, where they're basically just winning you steals right off the bat. Uh, and I'm not going to the level of, like, Billy Hamilton, but if you have a guy like Jose Reyes or Ricky Henderson who they're – you know, keeping up in average and some of these other stats, and they're basically just automatic wins for steals. Those are fantasy Hall of Famers. And then I would also add another one. Um, this is kind of similar to the David Ortiz, Ortiz clutch side of things. It's the guys who, like, win you fantasy leagues late in the year. So, like, I think to, I like that. you know, Aristide Sakino, who had whatever it was, like a million home runs in the that last month of the season. season. Mike, right, Reese Hoskins. Yes, who just goes off in the last month of the season. I think uh, if you can be that guy that wins somebody a league like that, like that, that can kind of designate you to be a fantasy Hall of Famer. It's kind of interesting because in, in this, this thought came to my head because I've been going over fantasy rankings and you're hearing all about the Hall of Fame and the way that I look at players, and I'm guessing it's the same for you, DJ, that... We definitely, when we think about players, we think about how they performed for us in fantasy. That is just something that we think about. And there's a chance that skews our opinion a little bit of them as a player, right? Because we do look at the surface level numbers. That sometimes is all we take for granted. And and you mentioned some of the writers are, you know, writing guys in for personality and everything like that. But I, I really do think that it almost gives us more perspective on, hey, we find value in let's say the Trey Turners of the world, right? I mean, Trey Turner last season, if you're asking me, 
that is a Hall of Fame fantasy season that he put together last year, right? Mm -hmm. And, it, I mean, he hit above 300. He scored a ton of runs, uh, stole a ton of bases as well. I mean, you, you can make the argument Starling Marte was a fantasy Hall of Famer last year, right? The, with the way that my perspective would be on that. But if I told you that Starling Marte is a Hall of Famer, you would laugh and spit in my face. So I think that that is the irony of all of it is we kind of see these categories like stolen bases being probably the biggest outlier. Uh, Whit Merrifield, his value with stolen bases. Uh, Nicky Lopez. I mean, those guys are perspective changes versus maybe their real-life value. Uh, granted, I love everything about both those players. Whit Merrifield's one of my favorite, and I know he's one of your favorites. Uh, how can you not like Whit Merrifield, first of all? I just got to throw that out there. But I, I really do think that there's something to be said about when you're playing fantasy baseball, the way you assess a player, the way you assess how, how you believe they are overall does change your perspective a little bit when you're seeing their numbers year in, year out, and what categories they're hitting on. A Byron Buxton's going to be another one that's going to be interesting to look forward to because you think about the injury history too, right? So all of that kind of goes into account. Um, and it's funny because I saw this class of 2023, and you know you see Chase Utley, you see Matt Holliday. Uh, we have a friend named Nico in our fantasy league that was obsessed with Johnny Peralta, and we saw his name on that list. And so it's just funny because... I think your perspective changes when you play fantasy baseball. Okay, let's get on to our next segment. This will be called Closing Time. Perspective closers as we await free agency and kind of the situation there. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we have a free agency pool, but outside of that, we have just teams and the situation. So you're going to pick which you know guy you think is the closer, which guy you'd rather have in, in fantasy, in real life, however you want to view this. And then I also want you to either chug, sip, or dump the situation. So, like, for instance, if we started out with the Orioles situation of Tyler Wells or Cole Sulcer, you're probably dumping that situation, correct? No, I'm definitely chugging both, baby. Give me Tyler Wells all day. No, no. I, they, yeah, that is a horrible situation across the board. Do not touch either one of them. I don't honestly even know who either one of them is. I looked at their numbers. It's not pretty. Uh, you dump both, but yes, I, I like that a lot actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't feel comfortable with that situation. They're not going to win a lot of games anyway, but them moving back the, uh, the park, maybe it makes it a little bit better for the pitchers. Tyler Wells is interesting to me. He's six foot eight. That just always intrigues me. Period. He, he had like a ERA over four, but his whip was under one. If you look at there's there's a good amount of red on his uh, savant page. He's 95th percentile for chase rate. So I'd probably go Tyler Wells there, but again, a situation I'm probably dumping out. Okay, let's do the uh, free agency one. There's Kenley Jansen, Ian Kennedy, Richard Rodriguez, Archie Bradley, Joe Kelly, among uh, another you know list of potential closers. Just depends how a team views the the reliever when he signs him. Um, of those players, if I took out Kenley Jansen, because that's probably the answer for both of us. So between Kennedy, Rodriguez, Bradley, and Kelly, which of those would you most want as your closer, whether it's fantasy or real life? And I guess uh, chug, sip, or dump the free agent situation for closers. Yeah, I'm going to go with Archie Bradley. He's still relatively young. He's been in the closer role. He's kind of been jumping around a little bit. Uh, but I still think that, you know, based off his youth, and I think location is going to be key. I mean, he was stuck in a really – uh, bad Arizona bullpen. He was thrown into Philly. I mean, I, I think that he needs the right opportunity to really help him out. But I think out of those guys, you know, Ian Kennedy's towards the tail end. I probably would sip Ian Kennedy. Uh, Richard Rodriguez, I don't know what the deal is with him. I can't figure it out because he went to Atlanta and it felt like a completely different pitcher. And uh, he doesn't have enough longevity in his career of success for me to really buy that. So I'm still probably dumping Rodriguez. But I would sip close to Chug. Archie Bradley and Joe Kelly is just too wild for me to trust. I would probably dump him as well. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I Richard Rodriguez, like you said, I, I don't love that just profile in general. Low strikeouts for a closer. Archie Bradley kind of out on. Joe Kelly is interesting to me, depending where he signs. But I'll go with Ian Kennedy. I, I could see him signing with like a bad team who needs a closer, and he just you know racks a bunch of saves, kind of like he did with the Rangers last year. Um, I, overall, I probably just, 
I guess, sip the, the free agents available. Kenley Jansen does headline it, which is nice, but it's not like an overly great situation who's left right now. Red Sox, Matt Barnes, Ryan Brazier. There is also Garrett Whitlock, potentially, who could be the closer. Which of those three would you take? You know, it's funny you mentioned Whitlock because that guy has probably got the best potential moving forward. Um, I would consider sipping Whitlock, and actually, I'm going to sip Brazier as well. I like Barnes, but he's getting older, and I think Brazier's shown he's got the capabilities to have that role in. Uh, he had kind of a rough year two years ago, but he figured it out a little bit more recently. So I, I think that if they give him the opportunity, I kind of trust Brazier a little bit more to take that job. Yeah, I so this is probably a, a sip on just the Red Sox situation because they should be a good team and you're going to have save opportunities. I, I, I'm not in love with Matt Barnes. He had such a good start to the season, but then he fell apart, which correlated with the sticky stuff lockdown, and uh, he was one of the biggest losers of that happening. Ryan Brazier had solid numbers in limited innings. I, I think I'm going to go with Garrett Whitlock. I liked him last year. He was kind of a, a spark, I believe, and uh, I think he had both eligibility in, in fantasy leagues. And uh, I, I kind of like his stuff, and I will go with Whitlock there. But, yeah, overall, I think it's a pretty good situation to be in. And if you are in a holds league, you know, you can't really necessarily go that wrong with Barnes or Brazier because if they don't end up the closer, they, they could be good holds guys as well. Sticking to that division, the Rays have Andrew Kittridge, uh, Peter Fairbanks, or if you just want to throw in another name because we know the Rays just basically uh, are weird with their closer. Yeah, I, I mean, the Rays are probably the most bizarre situation when it comes to that. You know, I always thought that Fairbanks was going to be the guy kind of moving forward for them. Um, Nick Anderson was in that realm, too. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with Kittredge, though. If you look at the numbers, surface level even, it just kind of tells you the story of why he's probably right now the favorite. Um, he gets a decent K per nine. It's a 9.7, but that ERA sub two, it was 188 last season uh, in 71 innings pitch. So, I mean, he, he had his decent performances out there. He did allow seven home runs in that total, so a home run every 10 innings. Uh, a little scary in that department, but uh, he was an all-star. Uh, he's on the older end, believe it or not. He seems like the Rays get these guys that emerge late in their careers, but I think I'm going to give the edge to Kittridge, and I will probably chug that too just because they should win enough games. Yeah, so if you're in a holds league, I love Kittridge and I love Fairbanks. Fairbanks does scare me because the walk rate is always really high. I do think Kittridge probably has the edge for the most saves, but it's not like a huge amount because the Rays just rotate these guys around. So if you're in a holds league, like these are very attractive because they're going to have a lot of opportunities. But if you're in just the saves league, I'd probably sell the whole situation or dump it out because there's going to be games where Ryan Thompson or J.P. Fireisen or who knows, maybe even Matt Whistler comes away with a save late in the game and just kind of steals it away. So I don't think it's going to be like a super high total. But uh, yeah, Kittridge is probably the best there. But again, if you know you want the K per nine, go with Pete Fairbanks because he's your guy there. Uh, Blue Jays, Jordan Romano, Yimmy Garcia. Uh, I don't know the status of, of Kirby Yates on, on his situation coming back from injury. Um, but yeah, where would you go with the Blue Jays? Yeah, I'm glad you said Kirby Yates, first of all, because that could be a really underrated early season pickup just to stash on your IL if he starts out that way. Yates', Yates career could be potentially over, but... You still love the name considering, what, he's three years removed from being arguably the best closer in the league. So uh, something you can't forget. But it, for me, it's not even close in this one. I'm tossing Yimi completely out. I'm taking Jordan Romano. And I will actually chug Romano because this is going to be a good Blue Jays team. Uh, his ERA last season at 214. He's young. He's going into his age 29 season. Um, and uh, the one thing that uh, I really love about him is the K per nine is unbelievable. It's 12.1. So... Uh, I think it's not even close. This is probably an automatic closer role here. So breaking news, apparently, I did not see this. Kirby Yates signed with the Atlanta Braves this offseason. When the hell did oh. that happen? Uh, Two-year, oh. $8 million deal. So congratulations to Kirby Yates. Um, Jordan he won't Romano, be on the Blue Jays. Yeah, I, I <laughs> love Jordan Romano. I think he's a, a really good reliever. So I'm, I'm chugging uh, this situation. I'm chugging Jordan Romano. I do really like, um, you know, some of these – other options that the Blue Jays could have, like if, if Julian Mayweather looks like the guy he was at the beginning of the season, supposedly uh, Nate Pearson's going to start the season in the bullpen. Like if he turns into an elite reliever, that would not surprise me. But yeah, I, I do really like uh, Jordan Romano, so I, I would go with him. Uh, the Guardians have Emmanuel Class A. James Karinchak got dropped down to the minors at the end of last season, but I, I think the expectation is 
he's going to be back into the bullpen for Cleveland this year. And when he was last year, he was kind of getting a mix of saves and holds. Uh, who would you go with in Cleveland's bullpen? I'm curious to see what you think of this one, because this is probably the one that we're, I'm struggling with the most uh, between potential and between who I actually believe deserves the role. I'm torn because I think Karen Shack is the better makings of a closer, but I also think class a should be the closer. If that makes sense. And so if you're not in a holds league, this is a really awkward situation because there's a very decent chance. The Indians toss both of them into the mix for that closer role. I could see that happening. Both are young. Okay. So we're talking about a guy that's class a heading into age 24 season. And you're talking about Karen Shack heading into age 26. So they're both young. Uh, they haven't really figured their identities out yet. They both are filthy. I mean, really, some of the best possible relief outlook that they could have uh, in the entire league. I like both of them. I honestly kind of chug both of them, especially if you are in a holds league. But I will say I'm going to lean towards uh, just barely Class A because I think Class A is going to be the closer. Karen Shack had too many issues last year, and I don't know if I trust him enough to make that comeback. I think he's got the potential to be the best reliever in the league. I'm going to be honest. Um, and it would not shock me if he goes from having a crappy season like he did last year to being like the best reliever. He could have that kind of season. Um, but I'm going to go with the safer option and I'm going to chug class A and I'm going to probably drink, not even sip, drink Karen Shack. Yeah, Klasse's weird because he has stuff that makes you think he should be a high strikeout guy, but he wasn't. Um, Karen Jack had four more strikeouts, and he pitched 14 less innings. So you're getting a lot more strikeouts from Karen Jack, but Karen Jack has a walk issue. He was in the fourth percentile, so 96% of the league was better than him in terms of their walk rate. He didn't get a ton of chases as well. He's just got kind of a funky motion, and, and he gets good like fastball spin and stuff. I... I just don't know what to think. The fact that he got dropped down at the end of last year makes me think this is Class A's job for sure. So I would be sipping Class A as the closer. I I don't know. I'm kind of holding on on this situation as a whole because I just I don't know how good the Guardians are going to be. We'll see if Jose Ramirez gets traded or not. Um, they should just be kind of a, an average or below average team because they're not going to want to spend money. Um, Class A is good, but like I said, there's just something that bothers me about the fact that he hasn't been able to rack up those strikeouts despite the stuff. And it almost makes me think of like Mike Fultinowitz who has this, you know, you're throwing like a 98 mile per hour two seamer. It's like, how is this right. guy getting hit? I don't know. There's just some reason why. And that's how I feel with Emmanuel Class A. Uh, Royals, Scott Barlow and Josh Stamont. You could um, maybe even go further down the line. Like if, I don't know, they have kind of a, a deep uh, Pitching staff of, of young pitching prospects, like maybe one of those turns into an eventual closer or something like that. Um, we've seen, you know, at, at times, a rotation of the bullpen. Who would you go with in the Royals pen? This is a tough one. This is the other one that I think outside of maybe, uh, when, you, when you look across the board, the ones that we're addressing, I would say the uh, the toughest ones are the Rays and this one for me. Um, oh, God, man, Derek, it's a toss-up. I'm going to go Barlow. But, man, I love the stuff that Stalmont has. Stalmont can throw at 100 miles per hour. He's got closer-like stuff. But Barlow put up great numbers a year ago, too. 242 ERA. Um, you talk about the K per nine, and that was at 11. So he's putting guys out at a pretty rapid rate. He had 74 innings pitched. Uh, so that's a sign that he was able to keep that up for an extended period of time. Um on the other end, you have a guy like Stalmont that throws gas. He had a strikeout percentage a little bit lower at 9.9, um, but had a 288 ERA. I, I think that, you know, if you're in a holds league, you're not wrong with either of these guys, but I'm going to chug Barlow because I think the Royals are going to win a bunch of smaller, like, I guess, lower scoring games. And uh, I don't know, Barlow and Stalmont both in the same age range. You're talking a one-year difference between the two of them with Barlow being a year older. So... Uh, I'm curious to see what happens here in Kansas City. Yeah, I I love Stamon's stuff. I, I think he does have better stuff, which is funny because Barlow's striking more people out per nine innings. But it does seem like they trust Barlow a little bit more as the closer. And, and I get that. Stamon walks a lot of people. He had that issue in the minors. And when he first came up, it didn't really affect him too bad. And he still ended up with a good season last year. But you started to see 
uh, the walks may be creeping in a little bit more. So I'll go Barlow there. I actually don't mind that situation, though, overall. The Twins, Taylor Rogers, Tyler Duffy. You know, it's funny because I've owned Tyler Duffy more than I think I ever realized. And I guess I just trusted him as a holds guy um, for a while there. But for closer value purposes between the two of them, it's really hard for me to say because one has been a closer, the other one has four saves. And what I'm saying by that is Taylor Rogers has had that closer role, um, has 50 career saves as opposed to the four for Duffy. And I think that plays a role. I think Rogers is going to have the lead between the two of them. They're both the same age heading into their age 31 season. Rogers had a 318, or actually Duffy had a 318 ERA uh, back a year ago. And as for Rogers, um, in 40 games, he had a 335. So you're talking about roughly the same performance between the two. I'm going to go with the guy that's done it more, and that's Taylor Rogers. I, I like Rogers as a player overall. He was an all-star in 2021. That That's going to be my pick. Yeah, injury, I'll go Rogers. Honestly, I don't really want a lot to do with this closer situation, to be honest, um, which is weird because I do think the Twins could have a bounce back. So I don't know. Maybe I'm more in on Rogers than I thought. Uh, I'm, I'm not huge on Tyler Duffy, though. I don't know why. Uh, Lou Trevino or Deolis Guerra for the Athletics. I also think... This is a team that, I don't know, I'm wary about that they could sign some free agent or something once we come back. Yeah, I'm not really trusting this bullpen as a whole. I, I'm, I'm not going to even delve too deep into this one. Lou Trevino has had a pretty decent career for the most part. Gira should not even have a chance in this bullpen, but the, the reason why he does is because Trevino doesn't have, per se, I guess, like, total put-out stuff. A year ago, he had an 8.2 K per 9. Um, he did have a 10K per nine in 2020. So you know that he's got the capabilities to do that, I guess. I It's just, it's it's tough for me because Trevino's been in this role before, but the A's have kept displacing him from the role too, right? Like they, they haven't trusted him fully uh, in that position as closer. And that's a concern to me. That means they probably know something we don't know. And I think that this ultimately is not going to be a winning situation for the A's. And I probably don't sip either one of these guys. I, yeah, I, I, I would not touch the situation till we find out after free agency if they sign someone or not. I would almost be tempted to go off the board there and go AJ Puck. Um, he's not going to be the closer, I'd imagine, to start the season. Who knows if he'll ever actually be healthy enough to be valuable. But I, I think the ceiling is much higher for him than those other guys that I would just take the risk in a situation like that where I don't really love it. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely dumping out that situation. Mariners, Drew Steckenrider or Paul Seawald. And I guess you could even toss in Diego Castillo. We've seen Ken Giles close at different points. Andres Munoz looked to be a closer candidate for the Padres. This to me is maybe the most intriguing bullpen. I'm so glad you said Andres Munoz because I've been a believer since day one of that guy. He has not stayed healthy, but if there's a guy in that bullpen I like the most, it's going to be Munoz. I think he's got the most potential. He's still incredibly young, but with Steckenrider and Seawald as the, the primary guys, I guess, as of now, um, you're not hurting buying Steckenrider. And the reason why I say that. His 2021 season went pretty unnoticed, I feel like. He didn't strike out a ton of guys. He K'd out only 7.7 uh, every nine innings. But he did have an ERA of two. He had 14 saves. That was in a total of 62 games. He wasn't put in the closer role from start to finish. So that's actually pretty impressive considering those circumstances. Uh, on the other end, though, not a bad role for Seawold either because he had a 3.06 ERA. Um, his K per nine, Derek is unbelievable. It's 14.5. So you know he's getting a ridiculous amount of swings and misses. Th this really is interesting. He had 11 uh, saves also in 2021, but he is heading into his age 32 season as opposed to the age 31 of second rider. What's the difference between the two? Not significant enough, but um, as a guy gets a year older past age 30, I get a little more concerned from the pitching side of things. That's just my kind of rule of thumb, if you will. Uh, man, it's tough. I, I might actually try to buy into both in a holds league and a non -hold, holds league. You do have to kind of sit back and, and think about that concept of Munoz being the guy that could eventually step up if one or both of these guys gets hurt, um, since they're on the wrong side of 30, but I'm going to give a nice little sip to stack and rider. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely love taking this bullpen, but I agree with you. I think you're best off if you take one of Steckenrider or Seawald 
take another guy as kind of a backup there, but that would only be if you're in a holds league. I would love to take the tandem of Seawald and Munoz. I think Munoz might have the highest ceiling, but Seawald is nuts. 104 strikeouts and 64 innings. As you mentioned, that like 14K per nine. He is electric. I think he's going to end up being the guy. I am chugging this bullpen. I'm chugging Paul Seawald. Uh, Rangers, Joe Barlow or Spencer Patton? Can we go ahead and dump that one out already? Yeah, you know, this is probably the team that's going to end up making a signing from one of those four names we read early on in free agency. Uh, If I'm the Rangers, I'm going hard at Kenley Jansen, if we're being honest. I think that that's a good fit for him uh, in terms of Kenley Jansen does not do well in elevation. So there's no elevation there in Arlington. And it's a obviously a pitcher's park that he plays in. He'd have Corey Seager playing shortstop, a familiar uh, teammate that would change over with him there. Uh, he'll probably end up having Clayton Kershaw there too, for all we know. It's going to become the Dodgers of the South. But I, I think that Kenley Jansen may be and should be one of the key targets for the Rangers because this is a terrible bullpen right now. So sometimes you can get value on things that are boring. That's how I would define this Marlins bullpen. Dylan Floro or Anthony Bender as the possible closer. I think you can get value there because I don't think a lot of people are going to overspend on one of those guys, but you're going to be able to get saves from one of them. Yeah, uh, to keep it short and sweet with this, I I think that both are actually, both have decent potential. If you're talking about who I think is going to be the closer when it hits May, my honest guess is that that's going to end up being Anthony Bender. Um, Age 26 heading to his age 27 season. uh, Put up really solid peripherals as well. I really, 279 ERA, Derek, and I feel like most people don't even know who he is. Uh, It was his rookie season, of course. 10.4 strikeout percentage in that first season. I like Bender moving forward. Okay, Phillies, Corey Kniebel or Jose Alvarado? I I think this is clearly Kniebel. They signed him, brought him in. Alvarado almost had a walk per inning. If you're looking for a a nice handcuff or a holds guy or a guy with high potential, though, I kind of like Sir Anthony Dominguez, but i definitely go with uh, Corey Kniebel here. I think it's super important to note that Knable's injury history is something to be very concerned about just because of the fact that he couldn't stay healthy in Milwaukee. He was dominant with the Dodgers in, what, his one and a half months of play early on in the season before coming back. Uh, and he, it was great when he came back, but he missed the majority of the season. Um, and so his health injury, or history, I should say, is uh, a bit of a concern for me. I'm not quite chugging Knable, but I will sip on him as probably like around the 20th ranked closer in drafts. I think that feels about right. 18 to 20. I'm kind of in on the Phillies being a playoff team or at least darn near close this year. And I think Knable's going to have a good season. So I'm actually uh, buying that situation for him. Uh, Nationals, this is definitely a dump out for me. Kyle Finnegan or Tanner Rainey. I'd go Finnegan, but again, this is something I don't really want a part of. Yeah, I actually don't mind Finnegan. Um, and maybe it's because I'm a little biased, but I owned him towards the end of the 2021 season. And I was slowly but surely starting to get more impressed by him. He is on the older side of the number of what you want. He's heading into his age 30 season, but the RA was okay. It was 355. The caper nine above nine. And he finished the job 11 saves towards the end of the year. He wasn't the closer until the final two months of the regular season. And uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, he had like a a week where he had five saves. Um, So Finnegan actually is probably going to be given a decent amount of opportunities. Uh, But yeah, I think it's a pretty obvious pick for me between the two of them. I'm taking Finnegan over Rainey. But I think Finnegan's going to sit in that maybe 20 to 25 range of ranked closers. And I wouldn't mind having him as a very, very late pick, but I'm not touching Rainey. Okay, Cubs situation, Rowan Wick or Cody Hewer? Not touching this. Not even touching this. Don't, don't want a piece of this at all. This is a terrible team with a terrible bullpen. So I actually kind of like Rowan Wicks. So I would actually touch this because I think the Cubs won't be very good. And maybe you could get some value here late in the draft if he's not expected to have a lot. But if you're looking for a nice sleeper, it's a holds league or something, here's the guy I'd go with. Manuel Rodriguez. He is in 95th percentile in uh, fastball velocity. He throws like a 97-mile-per-hour fastball, 97-mile-per-hour sinker. He's nasty. He came up as a rookie and didn't pitch very well in 17 and two-third innings pitched out of the pen this past year. But I think he'll adjust better this next year. I kind of like him as as a dark horse there, but I, I don't mind Rowan Wick. Don't love him, 
But if he's, you know, one of your last closers, it's fine. Reds, Lucas Sims, or Luis Sisa, or I don't know, whatever the heck they want to do in the bullpen there. I, I honestly, I'm just going to take a risk. This could be like the kind of guy that you take in the final round of your draft. Uh, because if you look at Sisa, he is on paper probably the safer option. But Lucas Sims is really appealing to me. So the difference between the two is significant. Like, we're talking about a completely different pitcher uh, from side to side. I don't know if the Reds are going to win a ton of games, but they're going to win enough to where they're probably going to win some close games. And I still like their offense enough to where I believe they're not going to, you know, they'll probably be like one of those classic 80 and 82 type teams. That's kind of what I envision them being. Um, Their pitching's decent. They're going to be in a bunch of games. The reason why I'm going to lean towards Sims and CISA had a 251 ERA, uh, the caper nine was at 7.5 for him. Lucas Sims strikes out a ridiculous number of hitters. He had a 14.6 K per nine. Okay, he had 76 strikeouts. That was in 47 innings. There's something there. He's still young. He's heading into his age 28 season. I don't know. They're, they're, I kind of believe in Sims. He also has had this weird sporadic, I guess, issue with identity because they've called him a starting pitcher. They've called him a reliever. He hasn't really had an identity. And if they call him a reliever full-time, I think he's probably going to adjust into that system. And, you know, he's shown promise in the past. I kind of don't mind taking a stab at him. In 2020, had a two four five ERA. Um, that K per nine was at 11.9. So you know that that strikeout rate is going to be high. I kind of like Sims. I kind of like him. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind the strikeout rate. The ERA is still ballooned up, though. I'm, I'm honestly just dumping this whole bullpen. Reds sound like they're selling. They might not be very good. They're in a, a batter's, you know, ballpark. I, I'm dumping this situation. Um, with the Pirates, though, I actually might buy in on this one. David Bednar or Chris Stratton, I kind of am in on David Bednar. Yeah, I am in on Bednar, too, and... Uh... Bednar put up some good numbers. He's relatively young, heading into age 27 season. Uh, He had a rough first two seasons with the Padres, but the change in location, probably the less pressure that he was given to, going from the Padres to a Pirates team that nobody had expectations with, was put in that closer role for the very, very tail end of the season, Uh, had a lot of uh, holds opportunities in the process, and um, the 11.4 strikeout per nine is appealing to me. Uh, kind of interested to see what happens. I might buy in on him too. Yeah, I'm just sipping that one. Uh, the Cardinals, this is a very intriguing bullpen, but it's hard to figure out who the closer is. Giovanni Gallegos, Alex Reyes led him in steals last year. Henesis Cabrera, you have Jordan Hicks, who uh, came back at the end of the season with injury. Uh, I think uh, this is going to be one of the more interesting ones. I, I don't love the situation, but I do like some of the individual relievers. This is one of those where if you play in Yahoo Fantasy and you're allowed to star players, you know, you can kind of keep them and keep an eye on them for later on. I'm starring all four that you just named right there because one of them will end up being the closer. I'm guessing it's going to be Reyes, but as of right now, Giovanni is set to be the guy. That's on paper what is supposed to be their closer right now. So it's going to be intriguing. I still think Reyes has the most potential long-term I don't know if I'm buying him until I actually see him get the role, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm going Gallegos on that one, but there could be some good opportunities for holds, guys, if you're in one of those leagues. Rockies, I'm just dumping this. Batters ballpark, Carlos Estevez, Daniel Bard, whoever they throw out there, I do not want any part of. You know what? I, I'm going to take a chance here, and I, I actually kind of liked what I saw from Estevez at the end of the season last year. Uh, I don't think the ERA actually tells the whole story of what he was able to do towards the end of the season. He His K per nine is a little suspect at 8.8, but he had 11 saves, and his last month of the season was incredibly productive as well. Um, I think that's when they actually turned to him as a closer, more so because Bard was struggling so much. I, I'm not going to say I'm necessarily chugging this situation. I'm barely sipping to the point of just tasting the situation, but might be another one of those like last round, second to last picks that I'm like, you know what? I'll do it. I'll see what happens the first week of the season. If I don't like what I see, he's gone. And I might take a chance on Estevez. Okay, Dodgers, Blake Trinan, Daniel Hudson, who they signed, or what about Bruce Dargraderall? This is so interesting because... On one hand, Trinan is one of the best relievers in all of baseball. Uh, I think he proved that last year 
that that guy, when he's out on the hill, he can be the best guy out on the hill. But Dave Roberts loves to use him in high-leverage situations. So is he actually going to be the closer? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we're going to see that happen. I kind of feel like we're going to see Bruce Dargratterall become the closer. I, he's got the put-out stuff, throws 100-plus miles per hour. He's young. Uh, I think Kenley Jansen's on his way out. I'm going to guess that he goes to Miami. That's just my personal guess. I'm going to say that if you're in a holds league, absolutely get Trinan. No doubt get Trinan. But if you're in a saves-only league, Bruce Dargratterall is somebody you need to star because I think he's going to end up being the guy that gets the saves on that team. Yeah, so if I'm in a saves and holds leagues, I, I want every part of this bullpen with any of those three guys because I, I think when you had Kenley Jansen, it's like, okay, he's going to get the saves. I think it's going to be a, a rotation of the different guys. So if you're in a saves and holds league, I, I think you can get a combination of both those categories from all those guys. But if I'm in a saves only league, honestly, I don't really want to do much from this bullpen. I'd rather sit out on it on the draft, and if I have to trade for it later in the season, I will. I just I don't feel comfortable picking which guy it's going to be because I do think it will be a rotation. Um, Padres, this is another bullpen that you could go a lot of different ways. Pierce Johnson, Luis Garcia, who they signed from the Cardinals, who had a renaissance year, now 35 years old. Emilio Pagan, who had good stuff with the Rays, kind of fell apart at the end of the season. What about Denelson Lamette? He's got good stuff in there as well. A lot of different ways you can go with the pods. You kind of kind of led into my idea here. Okay, I have a really ridiculous prediction here. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is off the charts ridiculous, but let's be honest. We've learned anything can happen. You Darvish really struggled towards the end of last season. Like, really struggled. He's had an issue with health over the last couple seasons. I could see him have an injury really push him back to the point where he or Mike Clevenger ends up becoming one of those guys that's at the tail end of that bullpen. So I'm not drinking any of these names that we initially listed because I think the guy that starts as the closer on day one will not be the guy by day 100 and will absolutely not be the guy by day 162. I think that – I'm not kidding when I say this. Don't be shocked if magically you see Yu Darvish struggle with his health because he's had some issues. Uh, Denelson Lamette, same concept. Mike Clevenger, same concept. One of those three – I, I'm almost going to take a swing at it. Is going to be your closer by the end of the year, and it would not shock me if you Darvish is the opening day starter and ends the season as your closer. I'm not kidding. Like it, it's bizarre to say, but we've seen it happen in the past with so many guys that just were not able to hold up health wise. Um, I, I'm just going to throw that out there. This is the weirdest bullpen for me, and it's really hard to figure out. And I'm just going to say one of those three is going to be the guy. That's that's too out there for me. I won't go that far. I'm gonna go. I really like Luis Garcia. Um, I think that he could maybe nail that down. I, I don't think they're gonna want to put that stress on Denelson Lamette. It, it seems like they're gonna have to handle him pretty f- uh, with a, a fragile arm, kind of moving forward. So I, I like Luis Garcia and that kind of Renaissance years. Um, last one: Giants, Jake McGee or Camilo Duvall. Duvall, Duvall, hundred percent. Kid's got special talent. He has put out stuff, um, great keeper value. It's not close for me. Even though McGee had the majority of the saves last year, Duvall came on, and uh, I know that he had the rough game in Game 5, but let's be honest, he's probably going to use that as fuel moving forward. There is a human element to this game, and you got to sometimes take that into account, and I think Duvall is going to do that, and he's going to be a 40-plus saves guy, I think, moving forward. Yeah, I, I think if you're in a holds league, Tyler Rogers and Jake McGee are great, but they're kind of one-trick ponies with, in one hand, the delivery. The other hand, it's it's the fastball. It'd be better to have a guy like Camilo Duvall. And clearly, they trusted him enough to pitch in all these late-game situations, in the ninth inning, in these games that mattered, in the postseason, in the fifth game of the the um, NLDS with the Dodgers. I think they have a lot of faith in him, and I, I really like Camilo Duvall. So I, I would go with him, and I'm... All aboard the uh, Camilo Duvall train. Okay, that is our uh, edition of Booze and Baseball, episode number 44. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to us. Give us a five-star review if you can. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Don't forget to check out all the great content as well at JustBaseball.com. Talk to you later.